Hey everybody, my name is Rowan Two Sisters. I'm with Preggers Can Be Choosers, and I'm here having a rock talk with Amanda Moore from Holistic Expectations. We're in Houston, Texas right now, and we're gonna offer some kind of broader scope conversation, but we will dial it into Houston specific or Houston area or even Texas um, at about 10, 15 minute point, and I'll make sure and give you that timestamp um, in the show notes, whether either visually on YouTube or um, if you're listening to this later as a podcast. And we just want to say thank you to everybody for being here. And Amanda and I love each other. We've known each other for, uh, we've known each other for a long time. And uh, if we take a minute and breathe together, it's all going to be okay. It's good. And if it's not okay, we'll just keep figuring it out together. Okay. Mm -hmm. Amanda, why don't you catch me up on you? Excellent. So my name is Amanda Moore, and I am a local area doula. I've been a doula for about 12 years. I've worked with a larger group of doulas. Um, I, uh, am also heavily involved in the postpartum, uh, part of having a baby, which is an area culturally where there is a lot of unknown. Um, so my hope is over the next, you know, uh, decade, we really see a change in terms of how we serve our postpartum families. Um, it can be a time of great awakening and, uh, and that's what we want. And funny enough, postpartum, uh, skills that you're learning are very helpful for managing COVID-19 skills that you're learning too. A lot of just going with the flow, uh, holding hands together, knowing that we're all in it together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing I've always loved about you, Amanda, is the focus on the postpartum and also on the partnership that if you have a partner, um, a lot of times that's, um, for me, certainly when I got married and had kids, that that was really where I could see all the cracks in my relationship was after we had the kids and like how we navigated things. Um, it really put a stress on all the, where the skin was the thinnest, that's where the stress went. So um, yeah. I've always appreciated how you really advocate for couples working together or people, even maybe that they're not together anymore, working together to be good parents and, and to be a good family. And um, and good is maybe kind of too superficial a term, but putting in the hard work, not being afraid to bring up the points where the hard work happens to um, function as a unit. So Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And I do want to say that Amanda and I are both in a group called TLC Doula Group, Total Labor Care Doula Group here in Houston. And that's how we met was being in the doula group. And even though I don't doula very much anymore, um, I still back you guys up. And um, it's been really great being um, a part of this group even still. So. Yeah, very cohesive okay. group. We're trying to walk the walk for everyone. Oh, yeah. Our group is really great. I want to give a shout out to the rest of our group. It's uh, yes. Jessica Gonzalez. She's um, Village Birth and Baby. Is mm -hmm. that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And and she's kind of your partner. You guys are practice partners. She is. She is. Okay. And then uh, we have uh, Dorn Jordan, who is finishing up nursing school and is a lactation consultant. So mm -hmm. that's uh, Dory's job. And uh, she's not doing much, but is she still doing childbirth education? Do you know? She is still doing childbirth education. And she's a Bradley instructor. She's fantastic. Yes. yes. And then we have Kathleen Wilson, and, who with Labor Enabler, and Jolie. Um, Me to doula. I am. Yeah. And they're both doulas, and they um, have a practice up in spring, the painted doula. Yeah. So they have a practice up in spring, and they're kind of practice partners. And then we have Rachel Stonebrook, and she's also kind of the Woodlands area, but also down here in Houston, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she's really great. She was a U of H um, sexuality and women's studies professor. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. we have a really strong group, and, and we um, do a good job of loving each other and backing each other up. So We do. Okay, so we have a list of questions, and what the topic we're exploring today, and I want to say also that um, we're from Texas, so we kind of talk slow. So if you want to listen to this <laughs> video 
or audio on double time, that would be just fine. Or one and a half speed, you know, like that's fine. It's not going to hurt our feelings. We'll never even know. It'll be fine. But that's a podcast and a YouTube watching trick for a lot of folks. They just, you know, speed it up a little bit. So we have a list of questions and specifically designed around who is a good fit for out of hospital birth. And out of hospital is also a way, we also call it community birth because you're giving birth in your community and that puts less of the focus on the hospital and more of the focus on where you're having your baby. And that is community. When you have either a home birth, home birth or um, a birth center birth, okay? Exactly. And there's two types of birth centers. I wanna say this, there's an alongside birth center and that's um, affiliated with a hospital. And then you have um, an independent birth center. So, and that's the kind where you will see that they're not supervised by a hospital and they're not inside a hospital. If you are currently lined up to have a birth at an alongside birth center, which is affiliated with a hospital or physicians group, um, a lot of those birth centers are being, uh, that space is being, uh, what's the word, like, not hijacked, but um, they're being repurposed. Mm -hmm. We're taking care of folks who are having COVID infections. So Correct. if you had planned um, a birth center birth that's an alongside birth center, you really want to check and make sure that that's going to happen for you. Um, and some of the birth centers are closing down because they don't have enough physician oversight because the physicians are being rerouted to COVID support. Correct. So I just want to put that out for those folks who maybe think they're going to have a birth center birth, but maybe that might get changed at the last minute. So I wanted to put that out. And Rowan, this is a big question coming up right now. Um, people have been thinking about how they want to deliver, have been preparing for a certain kind of delivery. And one of the things that I'm seeing from my clients is a lot of spike in anxiety about what if I can't deliver where I was going to or with whom I was going to, or what if I don't have support, you know, what are the options that are out there? And a lot of them are beginning to wonder if home birth and birth center is a good fit for them. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that'd be something good for us to talk to about today, just to distinguish just because the hospital isn't an option, what makes somebody a good home birth birth center candidate? Right on, right on. Good question. So folks, what fear never got anybody anywhere, right? So having a fear-based decision is not the best way to make this type of decision, right? Exactly. And somebody who's super fear-based about having a baby in community setting um, maybe would be better served figuring out a better plan in hospital. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like FaceTiming their doulas or all the different type of things that we're trying to get together to support folks in hospital because deciding that something is too scary and that's your default is to go to community birth isn't a good fit. And what I mean by a good fit is somebody, because with the relationship that you have with your provider or the setting is really important when you're in a community setting, okay? So when you're at home, but that doesn't feel safe to you, or you're at a birth center and that doesn't feel safe to you, it's not likely that you're going to have a positive outcome there. And a positive outcome is that, you know, we um, have a, a happy breathing baby and a happy breathing mom, right? So um, it might be that your labor stalls, or it might be that you need to transfer into the hospital anyway. Those types of scenarios happen. So having, um, being fear-based is not the best way to choose where you want to have your baby. And um, being afraid of delivering in hospital and then deciding, okay, you know what, I'm just going to have my baby at home because it's too scary. I'm not always certain that those, a lot of times those outcomes aren't optimal either. And I'm not saying that your baby is going to, um, you know, that something's going to happen to your baby, but a lot of times labor stalls or something like it just doesn't work out. Like we see people have difficulty with pain and management or, or that type of stuff. So a lot of times we end up transferring and that's really what you don't want is to think that you're going to have your home birth or your 
birth center birth and then transferring into the hospital. And that proportion goes way higher if somebody is just defaulting to a home birth or a birth center birth because they're afraid. And, you know, Rowan, we had talked about this earlier in the week, and I love that you brought it up. Um, birth is very much a reflection of where we are in our lives at that moment. Um, the pieces that I need in order to feel safe to surrender. Birth is so much about surrender um, and how much control am I ready to not have and how much do I feel comfortable leaning and how confident and connected do I feel to my body. Um, those aren't things that we can manufacture uh, and push in different directions. We are where we are. And so even being in a hospital situation, you know, where I'm not sure who's going to be on duty, I will probably be able to surrender and feel safe better than if I go to a situation that had made me nervous before. That had made me nervous before. So folks who never in a billion years would have considered an out-of-hospital or community-based birth, now's not the time to feel Correct. brave or get listened to the crunchy sister-in-law or whatever and move over. That is really not, this is not the time, okay? It might be that three years from now, if you have a subsequent pregnancy, that that might feel like a better fit, but today is right. not the day, right? right? Um, so I wanted to, so if you've never considered out-of-hospital birth, then let's not start now. Okay. Well, let's say that I did consider out-of-hospital birth, that I had been thinking about it, was kind of on the fence about it. Uh, I've possibly already had a baby before, and mm -hmm. I just need to maybe take another look at it. I'd like to know a little bit more, like, what does safety look like in a home birth or a birth center? What are midwives qualified to do and not do? You know, mm -hmm. all of those kinds of things. How would my appointments be, you right, know? Right, right. Okay, well, let's revisit the different kinds of midwives, right? So there's a nurse midwife. So that person has a master's in nursing, and that's the type of midwife they are. And then I'm a professional midwife, which means, um, like, I still had a lot of education. I still had three years of education, nine million clinicals, and, like, I can't even tell you how many babies I've assisted with or been involved with or, like, um, it just goes on and on. So, like, we definitely both have training, right? And then if you are someplace where midwifery is unlicensed, what has kind of training has that person had? Mm. There are still, there's a couple of states where midwifery is illegal. It's not illegal, but it's illegal. And then there is a couple of states where it's illegal. So you have to decide what level of risk that you would accept if you've already considered home birth was, you know, the fact that it's not legal in your state or reason that kept you away from it, right? Right. So researching what kind of provider that feels good for you, right? So nurse midwives are a little bit more clinical, um, typically, and professional midwives like, my, like myself um, are more um, holistic. You know, like we use uh, basic things like nutrition and fitness and those types of things to manage um, things that we might be seeing that we don't like or want to just stay on top of. But midwives have medical training, okay? Right. Unless, I want to say a caveat, is sometimes they're self-proclaimed midwives or they'll use the word birth keeper, which is fine, but that's more on par with having an unassisted birth and someone's just there to like, I don't know, help you if hand you a towel. I, I don't quite understand it. So the and language I, is important, right? Yeah. So you'll hear that kind of catchphrase birth keeper. But the other thing is like lots of physicians aren't fan of midwives and I don't want to be that way about people unassisted birth, you know, like I don't want to say that's terrible or whatever, because I hear that about choosing midwifery care, right? So I want to just be real, like you choose whatever's right for you. I'm here to support, um, but know the credentialing level of your provider if you decide to research um, having a midwife, right? So they so should we, be able to show you their credentials. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you should be able to look it up on, like, you can go to Texas Licensing and, uh, I don't know, it's TDLR. 
I don't forget it, but you can look up who has an active midwifery license. You'll see my okay. name right there. Right? Okay. So you can see who has an active license or nurse midwives or whatever, right? So um, then if you've um, had a baby before, that makes you an excellent candidate because you mm -hmm. kind of know the drill. Sometimes when we see folks who have never had a baby and then they're coming in, I'm, I work at a birth center. They okay. come into the birth center and then they'll decide to transfer because they're close to transition or for whatever reason, they were like, you know, screw it. I need my epidural or whatever. And then later they say, if I'd known that birth is always like this, then I would have just stayed. Mm. So having some insight about how you are with your birth and what your body's like when it births, that's a really good, you're a good candidate. You've already had one vaginal birth. Okay. Okay. And then like, let's re-examine. So if you had decided previously that um, a birth center or a home birth wasn't for you, what was the deciding factor? Mm. Was it somebody who said, just in case, was it like your mother-in-law or somebody that was like pressuring you? Or was it somebody who would like, you know, we just want to be at the hospital just in case something happened. Right. Right. And so what are those just in case scenarios? One of the things that we're ready for is so many just-in-case scenarios. Well, uh, let me back up a little bit. A lot of this we catch during your prenatal. There's hardly, mm -hmm. there's only like five big things that happen during a birth that we're like, oh, we didn't see this coming, right? But almost everything else we catch in prenatals. So like, um, let's say um, an elevated blood pressure or a sign that you were having some type of infection or something along those lines. We catch those in prenatals, especially those ones that we have a lot right towards the end of your birth, or right the um, when you're full term, which is 36 weeks for a nurse midwife and 37 weeks is full term for a professional midwife like myself. Mm -hmm. And we're not, um, our guidelines are that we can't go past 42 weeks. I just wanted to throw that out. And so safety wise, you know, if safety, for example, was why I didn't explore this further. Um, and a lot of times this is going to come up from the partner, you know, partner's mm -hmm. predominant role in birth just biologically is, is protection. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we don't Good. know, you know, it feels uh, unsure. So in terms of safety, what does safety look like at birth centers and in home births? What do midwives bring with them? What are they prepared to manage? Mm -hmm. And these are the questions that you would specifically want to ask um, any midwife that you're interviewing, right? It's like, what would you do with? My husband is always, or my partner has always been nervous about blank. Right. Um, so uh, there's three kind of sticky points in birth where like, I think the magic happens. One is that the um, baby exits the body. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a big one. The baby corkscrews down through the pelvis. All right. So what if the baby gets stuck? That's a question. So you'd want to ask that. And we go, many midwives do lots of drills to make sure that babies easily come through the pelvis. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and baby um, midwives who know like anatomy, like, and I happen to be just be blessed with a calm anatomy head. Like when, you know, it's in the fan, I'm like, oh, we got to do this with the shoulder. We got to move this, put your leg up here. Like I'm relatively chill. So you want, yes, you are. <laughs> thanks. You want somebody who like um, has done drills and stays on top of like current education. Right. So that's something that would address the baby getting stuck. The next thing is baby's got to breathe. Okay. So I um, had a birth a few years ago where we had to do some um, inflation breaths for the baby's lungs. And I didn't feel like I did a great job of sealing the mask with the bag, okay? So like now I'm the resuscitation queen. Like I take classes all the time. I host Karen Strange, who's a neonatal resuscitation. And one thing I've learned is that sometimes babies, they have the thick goop in their lungs. And sometimes they need something called inflation breaths that helps their, their mouth or their lungs inflate. And then after that, they need some inhalation breaths. So it helps them get the, the rhythm of breathing, okay? So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll take the bag and I'll do it on the partner's arm. I'm like, it might be like this. It'll feel like this. 
-hmm. then we talk about, I don't know if you've ever tried this before. I certainly had not, but doing mouth to mouth to somebody who's already breathing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's weird, but it doesn't hurt them, you know? Right, right. So if, if your baby gets some um, inhalation breaths to help it get that motion for its breathing and it gets some, you know, um, then you'll already have experienced that. You've already tried to give mouth to mouth to somebody. You'll watch your midwife. So we have the bask, the, the bag and mask, the Ambu bag. Most midwives have oxygen, which is um, not always indicated. And there's some controversy in the medical world about oxygen with babies, whether that helps or doesn't, but most midwives have it um, mm -hmm. that we would yeah. do with the Ambu bag if we had to do it, you know, after like two minutes or something. Um, needing oxygen for the mother, sometimes you'll hear the baby's heart rate go down a little bit and we'll give them oxygen to the mother or, or move her position to help the, the heart rate go up a little bit. A lot of heart rate issues are positional, how the mom is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so then, so we've got the baby out, we got the baby breathing, now we got to get the placenta out without a hemorrhage. This is the other tricky thing, okay? So, and typically after the baby's born, that's where everybody gets rushed in and like, oh, look at the baby! And that's where we have to go back mm -hmm. and give the provider a little elbow room, okay? And let the placenta de detach and then come all the way out. And then we get that fundus involuting on itself, getting it small, because it's big and boggy, so it gets small. Mm -hmm. And then that's the other magic is not having the mom hemorrhage. And most midwives will have a combination of herbs, homeopathy, and Pitocin and Cytotec because it, sometimes it takes all three and then some hand, you know, motion. And sometimes it doesn't take any of that and it's magic. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the things, baby out, baby breathing, placenta out, mom not bleeding to death. Those are our four kind of things. And I would ask, you know, the, the provider um, how they would handle those things. And then ask the partner who was nervous, did that cover the things that you were worried about? Well, and you mentioned everybody will gravitate in. So when you're in a hospital situation, you've got a baby nurse, you've got a mom nurse, you've got an OB or midwife at the mm -hmm. delivery. So there are a couple of pairs of eyes. So and a surgical tech? Right. Like, you know, the assistant? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you at a home birth or birth center birth, who is there? Uh, to be on mom and then who's there to be on baby or how does that work? How many folks are there? Okay. Well, that's a really good question because right now it's really changing, Ooh. right? Um, typically who you have is you have the midwife, mm -hmm. they have some type of assistant and then they might have a student. Okay. And so everybody has like kind of a role, right? Yeah. What yeah. to do. But um, with things like, we don't know how it's going to be. Some people are getting sick. Some people aren't. Excuse me. So I know that if I'm coming to your birth, I at least have one hyper-competent assistant. Like okay. that's, you know, that's my baseline. And if you show up, I, I got to say, there's been a couple of times where I've showed up where somebody's been, and this has been at the birth center where like, for whatever reason, I showed up and I delivered a baby like standing in a car or whatever. So sometimes it just is what it is, right? But babies who deliver in the car typically don't need resuscitation or all this other stuff. But even so, I got my bag in the car. So I have my stuff in the birth center. And then I have like an Ambu bag and some pit in a little bag that I carry in my car in case I like roll up. And I don't know how long your baby's been delivered here on the sidewalk, but like I'm ready to go. So, <laughs> and you know, precipitous births like that, that's, that's the rare thing. Normally people get there too early. Right. 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 So, um, so I want to dial back that if you're having a birth or a home birth, what midwives are doing right now is really keeping it high skill set, but not a lot of people and asking not a Got lot it. of people to be there at the birth that are in your family or that type of stuff too. Because um, it's good that babies are born where the mom's immune system is comfortable, but we don't need a lot of people. 
and there's a thing that watch dog or watched pot doesn't boil. And a lot of times when somebody's having an out-of-hospital birth, everybody and their dog will try and get over there to watch. And that doesn't help. It doesn't help infection-wise, and it doesn't help you not feel like, you know, you're in a zoo. Yeah. yeah. The person who's delivering, you know. So tell me a little bit about the financial side of this. So, you know, also, if I'm considering a home birth, I feel good about the safety, all the answers sound right. Mm-hmm. What is it going to cost me to have, what's the range and what does it include, mm-hmm. you know, for a home birth and a, and a um, birth center delivery? Okay. I know that some, I want to say this up front, that some midwives are offering uh, a discount if you like, are like, oh shit, you know, I have to have this baby in the next, you know, two weeks or whatever. And right now it's March 23rd, right? So things are still pretty like unknown with the COVID thing. We know it's going to be intense, but we're not quite sure how bad it's going to get or what the hospitals are going to look like. So I know some folks are taking last minute transfers, but a lot of midwives already have an at capacity practice right now. Mm-hmm. So there isn't a lot of like hookup deals or whatever. It's kind of like if you transferred late into a semester of college, you don't get a discount because you transferred in six weeks late. Like, right. And one, right. Of the th- one of the things that's really important is your relationship with your provider or where you're delivering at. So, um, and you know, we've got a lot of, um, it's like kind of like being on The Bachelor. You're like trying to get married in like two weeks and you got to like, you know, hyperspeed everything up so you have like a good solid relationship. So um, I think you can an- anticipate paying between four and $6,500. Okay. So between 4000 and 6500 I do want to say that if you went to a birth center, um, a lot of them do something called balance bill. So you would pay X amount and then they would bill your insurance mm-hmm. and then you would be responsible for the difference. And okay. insurances pretty much hate midwives. I don't know why. They need to um, get a calculator because we save them so much money right. for people who are a good fit, right? For people not a good fit, that's not a good fit, no matter what. But for people, it is a good fit, right? And so when you go to a birth center, there's two fees. There's a provider fee and a facility fee. And for some reason, insurance companies will pay the facility fee, and then you end up paying your provider fee. Wow. So if insurance is, you know, you want to use your insurance... And I would guess that if you move to an insurance or you had an, you know, a birth center birth now, that you will have a lot of, um, uh, you will have a lot of ammunition for saying, um, you need to pay this, you need to pay this because I stayed out of the hospital and had the birth center and all this stuff. So, and hopefully through one of the silver linings from this will be a change in how we bill and, and do those types of things. So Absolutely. if you're trying to use your insurance, a birth center is a good idea because they can probably build a facility fee and then you could pay your provider fee. All right. I do want to say um, some, like here we are in Houston that I work at um, North Houston birth center and they take um, Medicaid and they take the United Healthcare Medicaid. So if you go to a place that does take Medicaid, you want to need to see what specific plan they take. And you need to get your plan switched over and they reset on the first of the month. So here at the 23rd, if you were going to have your baby in March or, or excuse me, April or May, and you wanted to get your prenatal care covered by your insurance and you were going to a Medicaid center, you would want to make sure that you got your insurance moved over to the plan that the birth center takes. Does that make sense? And what's included in that? So that, you know, a $6,500 fee, if I'm transferring and I'm going to deliver in April, Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, two scenarios. I, I'm not delivering until October, but, you know, I might want to look at this and have the entire package or I'm due in April. We're going to do a whole bunch of speed up. You'll take over my prenatal care. What is that fee going to cover? 
Well, it'll follow the same lines as um, your schedule of care for that you would see at your OB, right? So if you're delivering in April, then you're already seeing your provider every week, right? Okay. So you would get switched over to your midwife and depending on how they're doing it, they might have you come to them or they might come to you, depending on which midwife you're going to. Um, they might do an initial visit and then have you do telehealth or rest until it's time, just depending on how like nut bar things get. And one thing I'm doing, um, maybe, I don't know if this is the right plan to say this, but one thing I'm doing is I'm doing prenatal care for people who can't get to the um, the doctor or the doctor saying, don't come in here. That's so fantastic. I'm, so I'm doing it and I'm just having, doing it a la carte for people. I'm starting, a lot of midwives have, like I have electronic medical records, so I just start a chart on you. And I'm asking you, did you weigh yourself? Get the blood pressure cup for yourself, right? That type of stuff. And then I'm uh, looking at their face. I'm talking about their fitness. I'm doing a lot of things. The only thing I'm not able to do, unless they already have it, is listen to um, auditorially with the Doppler. But there's a lot of things I can do already is like, how's your baby moving? Are you having any headaches? That type of stuff. So your midwife might get you, if you got established with care, would get you set up and then start doing some telehealth, but checking on you frequently. Right. And also checking on your emotional status, because that's a big part of how people give birth too. All right. Or they might come to see you in your home. Right. And do in-home birth work. And then some folks, you might decide just to have prenatal care. We call this the JJ way. Like if you wanted to play, pay a la carte for your prenatal care, done tele, um, telehealth or virtual. And then let's say that you wanted to use your insurance to have your baby, that you just roll in when his baby have in time. And then we fax the records over, or you've already accessed them, you've um, downloaded them, and you have them printed off and ready to go. Awesome. One of the things that I have coming up is somebody at their 28 weeks needs to do the glucose test, you know, where they sometimes they drink that glucola or that other stuff. But what I'm doing is I'm just having my people um, monitor their blood sugars for a week. So they That's do their fantastic. fasting, they do yeah. one hours, you know, and then like I'm just like checking it. So we'll start for three days, see how that goes, and I might do it for five days and we're adjusting food and nutrition. So there's a lot of stuff we can figure out. The only part that we're not doing is hearing the baby, mm -hmm. okay? Unless somebody has their own like Doppler at home and also feeling the baby because we feel for like what position the baby's in and stuff. But we're also using a lot of the um, the belly mapping from uh, Gail Tully from Spinning Babies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so, oh, and then you would have your baby. Um, they would come to you or you would come to the birth center and then you have, usually a 24 or 48 hour home visit that may or may not happen depending on what the streets are like or what we're able to do. And you may not want somebody who's working in birth a lot to come introduce themselves to your house mm -hmm. after, you know, the critical time. And then we have a two week and then a six week and possibly a four week postpartum visit. Okay. Okay. Which could be done um, either um, remotely or not. Most midwives can do newborn care up to six weeks. That's within our um, scope or scope of practice. So it may be that if things are intense um, and you're not able to get able to get to a pediatrician, that your midwife could do that for you that first six weeks. And everything midwives are for normal. Everything is low risk and normal. So if something's not lo low risk or not normal, that's where we get our eyes and we're like, you know what, we need to bump up the level of care here. Perfect. Perfect. So the language of safety again, which is awesome. Oh yeah. Right. Because, you know, a lot of midwives like I'm a newer midwife. You have a hangnail, we're going in. Like I'm super, super, like we're just doing everything low risk and super safe, but I'm going to plan ahead for low risk and safety. Right. Like, right. That's, you know, that's where the magic is, is, is preparing, preparing, preparing. Yes. Front loading, front loading. I'm a front loader for sure. Is there anything else uh, that birth centers and home birth are doing specifically to deal with COVID? Um, um, 
How, yeah. Hospitals that have got a whole bunch of stuff rolling out that changes every week. Are, is there a mandate that comes from above? Do you have more freedom in terms of what you choose? What, what should they expect? Yeah, yeah, we have more freedom in what we choose, but a lot of us are choosing to be like super, super safe. So I know at the birth center I work at, which is Northeastern Birth Center, like you come to the, you come to the door and we have like a, a TV tray set up with a bell and you come and you ring the bell and we take your temperature and we give you some hand sanitizer and we assess, you know, like, can you even yeah. come in? We don't have a lot of people in the waiting room. We're moving, you know, through appointments very quickly. Well, I do want to say with home birth and um, maybe telehealth, you'll have like 30 to 45 minute um, appointments, sometimes an hour, maybe not. Um, and a birth center model, it'll be a little bit quicker appointments. Okay. 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 That, that's usual. Um, so you come in and we're just uh, kind of moving through appointments a little bit more efficiently than we would have been before. There's not a lot of like, you know, loving up on each other. Like we're relationship building, but we're also being efficient. Right. And then I also wanted to say in the birthing suite, we're allowing um, a partner and a support person. Okay. So that's what's going on at a lot of birth centers. That's their policy and nobody in the waiting room. Okay. So, um, and then they're also asking that at home too. Just you, you have your partner, you have a support person, but not a lot of other shenanigans. Okay. okay. And um, we have a lot of midwives who are like really, um, we're super evidence-based. So part of that watching the evidence base is like what's coming around with evidence of COVID. Like what are the evidence-based practices? And so far it's that people who have a fever, no go. And if they're having the, um, not being able to taste or smell things also could be one of the first warning signs, right? Okay. So um, I think, and a lot of people are wearing birth clothes, like they're changing from street clothes to birth clothes and birth clothes to street clothes, you know, like, so that we're not transferring like our, mm -hmm. our clothing mm -hmm. stuff or wearing a lab coat or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. That's good stuff. The one thing I just want to reiterate here is that um, fear is not a reason to choose out of hospital birth. And if you're already in going to a hospital and um, it maintains that you can still go to the hospital, that that's maybe the best place for you to have um, your baby. And if the ba and another thing I'll tell you too is if the hospitals are closed and you can't even get in the door and all this type of stuff, that midwives are also ready to roll up our sleeves and help where we can, right? Absolutely. We're kind of like um, open-hearted people like that. Um, and we're so, all rolling with this, you know? Yeah, right, right, right. So, so doulas are coming up with plan A, plan B, plan C as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we can be there in person, okay, this is what we're going to do. If, you know, uh, only partner can go this is what we're going to do. If you're going to be on your own, this is what we're going to do, right? So that we have multiple options, you know, uh, depending on what, you know, what's available at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing is that we know that um, we're going to get through this together. Like community is really the biggest piece here. Yeah. And I'll be real interested to see a year from now how people feel about um, community birth, right? Because one time... Like I've heard this over and over again that people have been like, you know, I didn't want to have a baby in a hospital because that's where sick people go. And then, you know, there'd be the eye rolling or whatever. Like, yeah. And so now maybe that's the thing where we go to have babies where that's where they have babies. Like that's the thing that we right. do there is we do really well is we do low risk baby having. So yeah. In these uh, moments, we're able to explore things that we've closed doors on without researching. So I think this is a great opportunity to learn. Doesn't mean that you're going to move forward on paths, but you'll learn and there'll be the possibility considering right. another way. 
And that's one thing that we always say, Afua, who is a local midwife here in Houston, um, her birth center is called The Birthing Place. Um, she always says, consider a midwife. Consider midwifery, right? And even if you don't consider a midwife for the best fit for your delivery, consider a midwife for your prenatal care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. It's part of becoming more empowered in this pregnancy and birth process is that we you can find a good fit for you. Right, and right. It's not, and there's not just this one way to do it, which is all that's offered commonly. So mm -hmm. as this becomes a more legitimate uh, path that you can follow, uh, mm -hmm. I think it will help you become more connected to your pregnancy, to your birth experience, uh, to your community at large. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well said. Okay, well, I think that's probably it for us. Oh, thank you.